What's up, everybody? Welcome into the Man Room Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Bridges, and uh, I don't want to do all the homework today, so just find us where you find podcasts. It's also on YouTube. It's pretty simple. No sense in naming off 18,000 of them. Joining me today, somebody that you've already heard on episode three of the Man Room Podcast. He was part of our inaugural month, and uh, so happy to have him back because a lot's happened since the last time we talked to him. Please welcome Chris Castles to the show. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Always. I mean, you're one of those guys that I'm I'm confident that I can pretty much call on a on a whim and you'll be like, Yeah, let's do it. And I really appreciate yeah. that because I don't have a I don't have a career yet, Marcus. <laughs> well, I'm unemployed, so I get that. I'll That's be, why we I'll work so well. <laughs> Well, uh, I wanted to have you back on because I've been seeing on uh, on social that you've had or that you have a new show uh, that looks super intriguing at the Creek and Cave out in Austin, Texas. And uh, I wanted to, uh, you know, do my part to help promote it however I can from Oregon. But more than anything, just find out about what exactly it is and, and have you chat about it for a little bit because it sounds awesome. Thanks, Marcus. Uh, cocktails. <laughs> is the name of the show as if Cocktail. it was going to be anything chris different <laughs> chris castle's cocktails at creek and cave a lot of alliteration there c c c c c um but basically it's a storytelling panel show uh it's similar to the setup they use with kill tony you know if you guys know kill tony for a point of reference but it's like a panel show and i'm there with a couple of comics and uh then we invite audience members to come up on the stage and tell uh, sex or dating stories uh, to the audience. And we interview them and uh, ask questions and roast them and mostly just make fun of them for being bad storytellers. Cause let's be honest, most people suck at telling stories, especially in that format. They think that the important part is something that no one gives a shit about. And then, so mostly I just make fun of that. I'm just like, Hey, all right, hurry up. How long is this fucking story? Get to the point. Uh, but then we dress up in like 1920s, like speakeasy mixer outfits. So we're all going to be wearing tuxes because you don't want to hear someone talk about sex who's wearing like flip flops and a dirty fucking T-shirt and shorts. You know, you don't want to hear about that guy's self-loathing. So you, you want to hear from a classy person, you know, you'll hear a an anal sex story or whatever the story is going to be. I don't know. They're not going to be my stories. That's the best part. That's, that's good. Get... Yeah. I mean, I'll tell a story. I'll tell a story every time uh, just to set the mood. Yeah. And so have you had a show yet or is this still, is this, uh, is it kicking off uh, next week or did you already do one this week? I know it's no. pretty new. I'm doing it this coming Monday. Okay. So that's what I've been doing this morning is promoting the show. Um, I go on and I individually invite people on Facebook. <laughs> Isn't I, it ridiculous? I've, I've recruited like 2,500 friends since I've been here on Facebook, just, you know, encouraging people to add me after shows and things like that. Uh, so I just reach out to those people. I just go, hey, you like this show? Maybe you like this show. Remember sure. me? <laughs> and uh, so I'm trying to sell it out. Um, um, it's crazy, man. I've done this show before uh, in my backyard. Uh, and gotten such good responses. And then I did a similar show with another comedian, a uh, storytelling panel show 
that was based on my idea for this show. Uh, I did that with them. We did two shows, and they were like fucking a smash. Yeah. So um, now I'm just doing it by myself. And my first guest is Shane Torres, uh, Portland comedian, comedian. Love uh, Shane so, Torres. He's so funny. Pictures. So funny, What's dude. I, I just yeah, I love he, that guy. And it's crazy down here. So anyone who's watching this, if you're a comedian, whoa, it's crazy. So Creek in the Cave, the last several weeks, it's just been Joe Rogan doing like three days in a row. Last week, it was Joe Rogan, Tim Dillon, and Tom Segura doing Monday, Wednesday, uh thursday wow they just beat those days um back to i mean i was in the green room with whitney cummings and joe rogan the other day i talked to joe for like 20 minutes just talked to him about andy andrus really and he knows yeah, andy andrus and andy used to write on the man show when joe rogan and doug stanhope were the hosts. that's right i forgot so, joe was there at that point in time yeah, so I just go, hey, we got mutual friends. And then he's like, who? And like, Andy Anders. So, and no one else would talk to him because we're all in the green room. And Joe's Joe's kind of being the cool, cool older comic, being accessible for the sake of doing that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's what the vibe I got uh, based on a speech he gave, actually. But, uh, but Whitney was on stage, and I think Whitney was coming to hang with Joe after. So while Whitney was on, we're all just standing in the green room. We're the only ones allowed back there because we're the performers. And no one saying anything to him because they're fucking terrified of him. <laughs> and uh, so he's just making small talk. He pointed at this one dude's Crocs. He's like, oh, nice Crocs. And everyone's like, those fucking Crocs suck. But <laughs> Joe's doing his best to make some small talk right now. <laughs> fucking American flag Crocs. No one gives a shit. <laughs> but uh, so I was just like, hey, man, we got mutual friends. We talk about Andrus. We talk about confronting Andy's um, sex abuser. Um, and when, then we talked about me maybe going to jail. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah. We talked about all that. And then he, he's the last words Joe Rogan said to me were, don't go to jail, bitch. And then <laughs> laughed and walked away. So it'd be nice if it was that easy. Right. He'd be like, Joe, you're the only person in Texas that can actually affect whether or not I go to jail. Please do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and based on that conversation, Joe cannot help me. <laughs> he's like, Oh, it's going to be a long time before Texas comes around. Yeah. That's uh, unfortunate. And he's a, he's been a Greg, Greg Abbott, but who may, maybe man, I'll impress him later and then he'll take it more seriously. But, uh, the reason I brought all that up though, was to uh, one up myself and, uh, and uh, big time, y'all. Dude. No, I, I said that because uh, it's just crazy. And I'm so excited to be accepted by this club, be given a chance to do my show, and show people that I'm funny the way I'm funny. Yes. And do it at a club where all this exciting stuff is happening is mind-boggling. But it's so encouraging. And I'm inspired to, like, I'm, like, putting out all my other shows. I am just going to do this show and uh, work on my other projects. I'm so excited. That's awesome, man. Well, I, I'm excited for you because I, you know, obviously not from Austin, don't live there, haven't been there, but I, I know the names because I listen to all the podcasts. And when I saw your flyer come out with the Creek in the Cave on the flyer and your show and you were hosting it and everything, I was just, um, I, I was, what do they call it? Twitter pated. Like I got all giddy for you. I was all smart. Cause yeah. I know, I mean, first of all, I saw Shane Torres on the first show and it was like, well, Jesus, that's a big get right there. But I also know that you're rubbing shoulders with all those people and that you're talented enough to be on the same stage as them. And as far as cocktails goes, I 
look at that. It, you are a unique person in that you have this way of getting people to open up about things that are very embarrassing to them or or they might feel like they should be guarded about because, uh, you know, whatever reason. But I used to notice it on the donkey show, too, when we would have you on. Like, sometimes I would find myself talking to you about things that I never should have brought up on the radio. And it's, I think it's just a quality that you have that you make people feel comfortable and they're going to come out there and try to not only make you laugh, but they're going to open up to you because they really, you know, they just feel comfortable. And I can't wait, dude. Are you, are you going to have this on video at all? Are you planning to in the future? Well, I'm supposed to be working, I'm working on it today. Uh, but that is one of the things that's been floating in my head. I feel I would, I would be frustrated if i didn't record the first one my only issue is that i'm using unlicensed music for the transitions um and i would like to switch to live musicians but it's a lot to put together in a small period of time and i don't want to overwhelm myself with too much production stuff in the beginning mm-hmm. so i'm just having a friend come dj the music transitions uh from unlicensed music which could be an issue in terms of releasing the footage later yeah, there's. I mean, there's ways to get around it, but it it all depends yeah. on whether or not you want to click that monetize button. If you're just putting it up there for people yeah. to see and you're not trying yeah. to get it sponsored. Well, that's the thing is, is I would like to monetize it. So my <laughs> goal is, yes, to turn the show into something you can see online in clips. Okay. Um, but this is the trial run. The club really likes the idea uh, when I pitch it to the showrunner. Uh, the, the person who manages the club, Rebecca, she liked my pitch. She was like, I love this. And uh, she's definitely uh, got the whole Mitzi Shore thing going on. I mean that in the most descriptive way possible from my understanding of the lore behind Mitzi Shore at the comedy store. She just got this very, like, the matrone of the the venue. You know she's dealing with all these comics and all this stuff running it. So it's not that I'm afraid of her, but I just... I picture the show via Facebook message. I say hello to her uh, or maybe a few words, but then I just don't say anything. I just try not to make any faux pas or be in the way ever uh, and just contribute to the club. But uh, I'm excited to impress her. That is one of my goals. I think she likes the show idea. I know she'll be around uh, and impress uh, the club. I want them. I love the club and, uh, I want the show to be a smash, and I'm really hoping it will be a recurring thing. But that's part of my my redundancy. I don't want to be too like making plans for the future. I really just want to focus all my energy on this one show going off, so that then I can go from there. Yeah, and then I'll have hopefully my goal is once a month because I can't handle more than that. Um, and I want to sell it out when I do it, and I don't think selling out once a week is a a train I want to build the tracks in front of. <laughs> yeah. I, well, you can build those tracks later on as you gain the popularity. If it becomes something where, you know, there's a there's a possibility for you to do it once a week and you've gotten really good at it, I'm sure, uh, especially if there's a dollar amount attached to that, you'd probably you'd probably jump for it. But it's going to be something you got to feel out first and make sure that it's the way you want it to be. And, and you also don't want those things to be stale. I mean, there's a lot of really bad, crazy date and sex stories out there, but how uh, how many people are going to be willing to come up and tell them is something you're going to oh, find dude, out. It's you know? going to be sno- a snowball of it. That, <laughs> I know that, that there's never going to be an end, Yeah, especially if there is the lighthearted roast element to it, then people go there with the intention. They're excited to share. They're excited to hear the banter and the interaction, especially with the potential 
when working with this club to have a guest like Tom Segura or Tim Dillon or, uh, you know, Bonnie McFarlane when she's coming through town. There's all these great comics coming through. Uh, and just the idea, of, and then Shane's on the first show, which, by the way, he's not supposed to be on the advert. I'd put the advert up. One of the faux pas I made. I should have reached out to Shane before I started advertising. But he had, like, a no contest or, like, uh, he didn't want his name on the flyer. Oh, okay. Those, Sorry, Shane. You know what, though? I, and I know this from experience. A lot of times those non-compete contracts are garbage when you put them in front of good lawyers. Um, we used to have to sign some some things that were basically non-competes. Uh, we had a non-compete on the radio that meant, that said we couldn't go to another radio station while we were under contract inside of 100 miles. And I remember at some point in time, a legal expert looking at that and being like, they can't enforce that shit. If they make you a better offer, you you cancel your contract with them and you go over them to, or go over there to that other station. But don't don't screw up your your contacts with good comedians for that. But I just no, I've heard that those I, things are more put there to scare people instead of actually control their their actions. So I just think that the I don't know why. The thing is, is that I, I am glad to comply to that, but I'd already made flyers and then <laughs> shared a bunch and told people to share. Yeah. So the I know, I, now I've since changed it, but I still still see people sharing. Or they'll go on and find an, someone else's image of the old flyer. Because like, yeah, but this flyer doesn't have Shane's name. Who's Allison? And I'm like, Allison's the fucking other comic you're going to wish you knew later. So uh, <laughs> just... I don't know. It's so silly. But anyway, I'm really glad Shane's on. As you know, I saw Shane perform uh, one of his first, uh, maybe his first time in Oregon. But I, I don't know. I think he may have performed in Texas before he moved to Oregon. But I, when I started out doing stand-up in Portland in 08, I saw Shane then. Wow. And he did one story every time about his father having a heart attack while uh, sleeping with his mom, I think dying. Uh, I think, I don't know if it's true or not, but that was the bit he would do. It was great, but that was the only bit he did. Yeah. And now he sees me and he's all successful. And he's always like, what do you say to me? Last time I saw him in Denver, we, we did a show and he goes, uh, he goes, Oh, it's good to see you, man. Just man. It'd be nice to see you tell new jokes. And I was like, you fucker, you did the same <laughs> joke for five years. Give me a chance. <laughs> That's one of the things no, I, love, I, I love Shane. So I'm, it's really cool to have Shane on my first show. Yeah, dude. And, and one of the cool things, too, is that the more I listen to, you know, various podcasts, talk to people like yourselves, um, I see that the comedy scene in, you know, the comedy scene in general, like all the way across the coasts, people are good at breaking each other's balls. And I really like that about it. Like, I feel like that's part of being a comic is that even if you haven't seen that guy in years, maybe you're going to say hi and be really happy to see him. But one of the first things you might do is bust their balls a little bit. And of course that probably is like, you're not going to walk up to Joe Rogan and be like, nice shirt, idiot. But like you, somebody like Shane Torres that you've known since 08 and seen him perform since he was, you know, a uh, uh, starting out comic, you come up to him and, and kind of fuck with him a little bit, and he fucks with you. Like, tell some new jokes, idiot. Like, I I love that little back and forth. Do you find that that is um, easier to come by as more comedians enter Austin, and the or is it getting more competitive and people are more likely to be defensive when you maybe compliment their Crocs? 
Oh, dude, comics are babies. You pretty much have to make fun of your friends. And, you know, you hear about people like Patrice O'Neill who just get, give shit to everyone. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and so there's that element. I don't know, dude. I just feel like I try not to talk shit to people I don't know, comic or not. I have straight up made fun of comics who I thought were my friend or thought someone I was, like, relatively cool with. Uh, and made fun of them in front of a small group of people and had them freak out on me, and we are not friends now. Uh-oh. And I was, like, making a joke they would make about themselves, and I, and I realized, you know, man, I just try and be as nice as I can to comedians. Uh, <laughs> and then if we're <laughs> friends and we have a good rapport, then yeah. And the more, And then I actually like you more if, as a comedian, I can just say whatever to you. Uh, I like... I trust you more that we're there for the right reasons. Right. Yeah. That makes uh, sense, man. And I mean, but sometimes too, the, the, and I know this from experience with different people and I won't name names, but sometimes that, that self-deprecating joke that you tell that is like, Oh, that's a joke they would say about themselves. Sometimes people see that as their only weapon. And when you take that weapon away from them and they, then they can't make that joke about themselves. Now they have to be defensive because they don't have anything else. And are you talking I, I mean, about Max Chase? I heard he's fat lately. What's that? Are you talking about Mac Chase? Who are you talking about? <laughs> name names. No, I'm not going to name any names. I just know that sometimes, especially when you're dealing with egos, you know, uh, when we're... When oh, we're talking about Drew then. No, actually, I'm not talking about Drew, believe it or not. I'm talking about somebody that didn't work for the radio station, but we, we saw them there often, and it wasn't you. So I, I just, you're really trying to get me to name names here, and I'm telling you right now, I'm... <laughs> I'm comfortable enough uh, around you to not open up in a time that I shouldn't. See, I'd be really good at cocktails. I'd be able to kind of toe the line and only tell the the parts that make me look super terrible. I can't fucking wait, dude. It's so <laughs> funny because when you when you give people an opportunity, you know, I, I was doing the, I was hosting an open mic for a friend who was out of town. I did it a couple nights in a row, but it's right on Sixth Street, right by all the clubs. There's like sixty comics, right? And wow. it's just a fucking, it's a marathon and everyone gets three minutes. So being the host is an unenviable position, but I would, fu- I, I fucking party with it. And so I was going up to groups of women that were there watching the show and I would just go, Hey girl, no, you can tell it's like six street night out. I just go, Hey girls, who's the funny one. And they'd all be like, ah, she is, she is. And they all, you know, they usually single out one girl, man. I got one of those chicks to go up. It is so fucking funny. She tells like one joke. But her friends are so into it, and it's like such this – It's it just made their night, man. They told me later, actually. They were all hanging out after the show. They're like, we meant to, like, go bar hop, and then we just ended up watching this open mic all night. I was <laughs> like, oh, man, y'all suck at 6th Street. But, uh, <laughs> but, but that just a testament to how much fun that is to see someone you know go up when you had no idea – you're just going out to watch a show. Now someone you know is on stage interacting with the performers. That's like fucking golden. It's just so interactive. It's so like something that happened. Uh, I just fucking love it, man. So I'm really excited for Monday to do that. Because And also, man, you know, I enjoy doing stand-up. And I'm hit or miss. I'm getting okay at it. And... Uh, uh, as a performer, and now that the talent level's raised up, I really am like, fuck. I'm actually, I have myself, I've been writing, dude. Oh, I've been yeah. writing, like, yes, I've been <laughs> taking all my notes and going through and just realizing how little material I have is actually good. And 
uh, out of all the stuff, how much I've just been writing the same things over and over and over again. I don't have notebooks full of jokes. I have notebooks full of some jokes that I've just rewritten and rewritten the titles to. Uh, but um, when I'm in the atmosphere where someone else is taking the spotlight and it's about them and they're nervous and they're experiencing all those things that you're usually experiencing as the person who's in the spotlight, uh, it's so much easier to be funny. Because you just sit and listen, and I, I've i just trained myself to go, what is the thing I should not say right now? And then say what it. What is the, what, yeah. <laughs> and I just, I just go say it. Say the thing that everyone's going to be like, I can't believe he said it. I cannot believe he said that. And I just say that thing over and over again. On, because the first few, everyone's like, oh, whoa, bro. But then later, everyone starts hearing the thing and going, He's going to say the thing, right? And I was like, yeah, I'm right here, baby. I'm saying the thing. <laughs> Those first few like to chisel away at the tough exterior. And then after that, you get to that real good meaty part in the middle, right? <laughs> oh, dude. And then it's just everyone knows that. And then people in the audience who weren't planning on telling stories get excited. And then, then they a bunch of them go home without the chance to tell the story is another cool thing about it is you can't get everyone up. Uh so it makes so, them want to come back next time. They want to come back, baby. Yep. That's awesome. So, man. That's what I'm trying to do. I hey, talk to me. Well, here, I want to ask you one thing before, because I do have I do have something written down here that I can't wait to get into with you. But uh, before we get there, since you're talking about writing, I wanted to pick your brain a little bit about that, because I while I'm getting back into comedy, I did my first actual show here a couple weeks ago. I've been hitting some open mics and stuff like that, but... What is your? You Tell say, me about that. Wait a minute. Before, okay, I asked your question, but then make sure let's get back to the Eugene scene. Okay. Well, we can talk about that right now if you're interested. I mean, there's a couple mics going on uh, Monday night right now. Uh, Seth Milstein is doing the Slice Mic, which is down at Slice Pizza, uh, right in the smack in the middle of the Whitaker. It's an awesome little outdoor venue. There's a hollowed out train car that has chairs in it, and then they they put like. Uh, umbrellas and stuff like that out. It hasn't been raining, of course. And then it's got, like, lights strung across, so there's kind of some ivy and, like, some shade, so it's not right out in the sun. Beautiful stage that, that they built. Is that the old PRI? Where is that? Yes, that is the old PRI, and it's right out in the okay, back Okay, cool. I've, I've eaten in that courtyard. Yeah, yeah. So it's in the back? It's in the back. They built a stage. A bit of shade. They, yeah, okay. they, they built a stage um, that is, is away from, it's basically on the opposite side of the courtyard from where you walk out back. And then all the chairs are right there. And I mean, I've I've done it two or three times now. I can't remember, but every single time, it's a great crowd. There's a ton of comedians. Everybody's there to to watch. You might have that one person that came there to eat, and they either leave right away or they stick around and try to become part of the show, and they get razzed. But it's been a really fun mic. Best pizza in Eugene. I I will tell you this right now. The best thing that happened to the Whitaker was when the Pizza Research Institute, which was a vegan pizza place, moved out. And they put a real like New York style pizzeria by the slice in there. It's amazing well, pizza. I I do I do love New York style. I also like PRI though because I can't get pizza like that anymore. I love PRI. Well, you're definitely not going to be able to get it in Texas. They probably shoot people for being vegan out there, right? Or at least shoot at them. Anywhere outside of Austin, you'd be surprised, man. Austin is not what you think it is. Yeah. Austin is Eugene, but more fun. Well, I've heard that, and I've heard the the um the relationship between keep portland weird and keep austin weird is kind of a kind of a similar thing there so oh, yeah. I, I mean i would love to experience it but uh besides that eugene 
There's uh there's the Lucky's Open Mic, which is Amuse Days, that's hosted by Chaz Logan Hyde. Um, and he is down there every Tuesday. That one's a little tougher. Um, my, oh, uh, Lucky's, dude. I used to bartend there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, good place, but obviously, um, you know, they closed down Ninth Street right there from like uh, where uh, where the Starbucks on Ninth and Broadway or uh, Broadway and uh, Willamette is. They closed for like two blocks down because there was no outdoor seating for any of those restaurants that were there. So they closed the street so that they could have outdoor seating on the street. And um, unfortunately, that brought a bit more of the downtown riffraff that you're very familiar with that likes to congregate oh, in the area. So fun. And um, so now they're really thick down there. And, and while I've only done Amuse Days once and it was on 420, so it wasn't a good representation of the crowd. What I saw at Amuse Days is like there's some people that are in there just because it's a place to be. They're not even really drinking. They're just kind of hanging out. If they weren't hanging out there, they'd be hanging out on the sidewalk or they'd be in the subway. They'd just be someplace. And those people kind of had an affinity to try to be part of the show. A lot of talking, a lot of kind of not respecting the fact that comedy's going on. But that's an open mic. I mean, that's the stuff you have to fight with when you're doing open mics. My only issue is the thing that I love about Slice that I dislike about Amuse Days is that at Slice, the comedians that smoke cigarettes can smoke cigarettes right where they are sitting. And so they stand there and they or they sit there and they listen to everything that everyone has to say. Whereas at Lucky's, they'll be inside for one or two comedians. And then all of a sudden you'll get this pour of like seven or eight people out the door. And I feel like now that the pandemic's happening, right? That people should be allowed to smoke in Lucky's again. Uh, we should the cigar okay, club. Fine, but we should be able to smoke at the Gentleman's Club again. <laughs> and women shouldn't be allowed. Come on. Yeah. We're going to fix some Get problems. Get us back to the old days where we were making some fucking money here. <laughs> <laughs> the comedy would be better. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, but, uh, you know, it's it, as far as that's concerned, they've got those two mics. And then uh, Burt Wallpack is doing Laugh Track Town uh, USA, which is a uh, once-a-month feature at... Uh, uh, Tracktown Pizza, I think. Um, James Blame has a, uh, a a show that he's putting on at various places. There's one kind of down by Cottage Grove. I think it's called the Village Green, where he's putting on showcases. Oh, comedy again, yay! Yeah, it's it, I'm I'm actually looking to um, go out and find myself a club that will allow me to do a feature once a not me feature, but will allow me to do a show that I can host once a month. Um, kind of pay you to do a show. What's that? allow you pay you to do well, the show. yeah you're right i i just i try to go in humble because here's the deal I, with the donkey show we used to be able to be like hey we're gonna be here on tuesday and then everybody would go there i don't want them to necessarily think that that all follows me because it's been a little bit of a hard pull to uh to get back to that same audience we had and, and the people at the bars will recognize me from the donkey show not from my comedy so i just, well, well, I just try to be humble. you just fucking take them you take you go there you listen to me right now marcus okay, okay? School you go me. there and you say, you want comedy? Because I can bring comedy. If that's what you want. You know, you got to start these negotiations uh, with from a point that they you have something they want. And, and get paid, okay? Fucking, if you're watching this show, you're a comedian, get paid to do it. Yep. Unless you're doing an open mic or you suck. Yep. Then, yeah, but no, it's true. I mean, that, that show I did down in Medford just a couple of weeks ago, all I had to do was when they asked where I was talking to the guy that was booking me, I was like, hey, is this a paid gig? And he's like, well, not normally for your slot, but I could pay you. 
it's like, okay, yeah, that's exactly – it's like I, I would have gone down there and done it for free, but it's better that you're kicking me down some gas money, so. I just mean, no, yeah, but also if you – that's great and good for, on you for asking. But if you're starting a show and you're producing it, you should be getting paid or don't do it. Right, right. No, it, it, like I charge to be there. I'm do. I'm offering a service. You know, yeah. I'm just saying it's but it's just, tough because of the way that uh, you, you forget the state that I live in. These places have been yeah. open and shut and open and shut and open and shut. So I'm trying to, I think, approach with a little bit of caution in that there might not be a huge budget for these types of things. But at the same time, if I time it correctly, the scene will have rejuvenated enough for it to actually be a plausible thing to do once a month with different comedians that are are drawing and are funny, you know, and 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 deserve to be there. Because there's a lot of funny people, dude. I mean, it's crazy only not doing comedy for just as long as I did. I, I you know, it was a couple of years ago was the last show that I'd done. I go to these open mics now, and there's 20 people there that I've never seen or met or heard from before, and they're good comics, yeah. you know? Everyone's experiencing that. I'm yeah. sure it's not that good, but, you know, I get it. <laughs> I'm trying to give them credit, man. I the, There's some of them that are still doing – I mean, look, some of those faces are the same that you would recognize from back in the day when you lived here, and there's some of them still making the same mistakes, but – I still go out because it's entertaining to see that. So you wonder yeah. when they're going to learn. But uh, no, yeah, open uh, my comedies, fucking hellhole. Go ahead. So what I wanted to ask you about your writing process is because I I kind of have an interesting writing process, and I realized it out of nowhere the other day. But I kind of write like essays when I write my comedy. When I sit down, like I start typing out a thought, and it becomes like a full-on paragraph, like. Literally, I could turn it in with, you know, punctuation and correct grammar and everything. I could turn that into a college professor and whether or not the content was any good, it would be like a well-written essay. Is that how you write or do you do more short form stuff? Are you just jotting down ideas, outlines? Like, what's it like for you? All of it. I do all of that. So I, I do the essay thing that you're talking about or like journaling where it's not really necessarily a joke but like a gripe or something I'm feeling. And I do think there's something about that. If you start from what you're feeling, like what you have to say, that's really great. If you start from what, with what you actually have to say, that isn't necessarily funny, then you, at least now you're like, okay, well, I know that I'm talking about something I believe in. So then you just got to, you know, throw in the word twat or whatever, and fucking <laughs> say that you punched a baby at some point in the story. And then you got yourself a joke. That is pretty uh, much that. If you can get twat and baby punching in the same punchline, then you've you've won comedy. I think you can quit. But you, you just basically, you do, do, then you from that you take that big honk and then you figure out, okay, well, what's funny about what I have to say, and then focus on that instead because what's funny, you know, sure, have context, bring up a topic, have something to say, but then what's funny about it, and then hopefully by reducing it down to some joke form, some joke or observation about it, uh, then people get can deduce from your joke your point of view. Mm -hmm. But when you're doing stand-up, it's not really, you know, you don't want to fucking bore people with context. So it was a Tuesday. My friend Josh, here's the thing about my friend Josh. We've been <laughs> friends. And it's like, dude, you know, no one gives a shit. Well, no, but the thing was that, he had to shit. I don't know. It's funny when you hear people tell like long form stories they think are important that they didn't go back and think like, yeah, but what's funny about this objectively to a person who doesn't know me or care? Right. What's funny? But no, that's part of my process. So I do what you're doing, 
And then I also like right now what I'm doing is uh, I'm going through. I took a I took a blank book and I started just writing down old thoughts and and jokes from other pieces of paper and books I have. Like here's this box is like an old set. Even though I wrote some of these jokes down previously, I just put it down as a set so I can see because a lot of my paper are just sets I wrote that day. That's when I get my most writing done. Mm-hmm. It's like, I have a show tonight. What's my set tonight? Yeah. And I try and work on it in the day so that I have some idea because otherwise I'm all over the place. I don't really have like a set in my head mm-hmm. that I've been working on. So I have to take a bunch of jokes, curtail it for that show. And then when I go to the show and I'm there, the circumstances sometimes change what I'm going to say. So then I'll take that set that I already rewrote and memorized rewrite it and to include new thoughts or considerations and then pace around uh, <laughs> nervously and lock that in with any riffing I have planned. And then that's my set. And then the writing I'm trying to do now is after that, once I'm off the stage, all of those, fuck, I should have said that. Oh, I fucking forgot that. I go back through my set. I mark what jokes I did get, what jokes I didn't, uh, why, any observations, anything that came up, any mistakes I made, any choices, poor choices I made that I kicked myself for and really hurt right after the set. Um, I go, what would I do differently? How could I have done that differently? Mm-hmm. And write those things down. I got to get better at that. My my main problem is I start to get so amped up for the show that when I walk off the stage, for me, the night is it's all handshakes and, and networking and, and having a few drinks. I never really do that post-show reflection, and I feel like it's a really good idea because not everything works every time, and some some things work in one way that they won't work that same way at a different place. So I, I've never really thought of it in those terms that, like, hey, you know, sit back and reassess. I mean, obviously, if it's recorded or if it's on video or something, you can listen to it, but that that reflection right after you walk off the stage when those feelings are still fresh in your mind is probably really good for your process, I assume. Yeah. Oh, and I don't do it. I'm just saying it because I know that it would be smart to do. I don't actually do it. Uh, no, but I do have, especially if I have a bad set, that's the most crucial thing. And the only thing I can be excited about when I have a bad set yeah. is as soon as I'm done, those thoughts and that torment you go through where you don't even want to stick around, you ghost out because you're like, oh, fuck, I don't want to talk to any of these fools after that. I don't want them to say good set to my face because <laughs> I know they're fucking lying and I thought we were friends. So you got to fucking go straight home. That drive on the way home, all those things, fuck, I should have done this. I should have done that. Those are your lessons. And that's the best writing you'll ever do. Uh, right before a show and right after a show, that writing of right after a bomb, that those moments ago, I could have said this. If I could go back right now, and that's why if you have a bad set, it's good sometimes to go do another set if you can somewhere else. And go, okay, now don't make those mistakes. Try it. Do the things you would have done. And uh, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I feel like that's a good good mental space to be writing in. And it's a good way to feel like you didn't do. It's a good way to embrace the bomb. Mm -hmm. If you have a bomb, you can even, as you're having the bomb, go, okay, when I'm done with this bomb, I'm going to fucking have some serious self-reflection to go through. And then I'm going to write some new shit and be really excited to perform next time. Uh, And that will make you bomb less because you'll start to care less. If that makes sense. It's really funny when you feel yourself 
attached to the bottom of the Enola Gay and they let you go right over Hiroshima and you're just falling to the ground and terrible things are about to happen. It's, it's a, it's an interesting perspective to have because, and you know, if you're a musician, you might've had this happen during a song, or if you're in a play or you're an actor, you might've had this happen during a scene, but sometimes for a comedian, it happens during a whole set. Like there's not what, it might just be one joke that bombs. Sure. But you could just be dropping bombs all across the country, and uh, it's a it's a real interesting feeling to have when you can step out of your body and see it happening. It's terrifying to be yeah. honest, but uh, <laughs> having having felt it just a couple of times in my life uh, gives me real respect for what that feels like. And I don't say I've only bombed like that a couple of times. I've only been self aware enough to step away and see it happen like that a couple of times. Dude. So. I bombed so hard the other night at Speakeasy downtown. I bombed so far. It was this is like three weeks ago now, maybe maybe even a month now, like three weeks ago. I bombed so fucking hard that I quit drinking. Like you quit drinking altogether, or just that night? I quit drinking. Wow. I bombed so hard it made me quit drinking. Wow. I bombed so hard that I that I've been writing several hours a day now. Wow. So it was a real life changing so- event. Oh, dude, it was the most, I was like, I can't let this. And people were like, you didn't bomb that bad. And there was this whole, like, brigade of Colombian cars outside. It's right on Congress downtown, big, big strip downtown. And they had the bay doors open, so the the bars open to the street. And there was, like, six or seven cars with Colombian flags all honking because of what's going on down there and the cops killing civilians and all that. I didn't know about it then. I was just like, what the fuck? And I, but the thing was, is that it ruined my set for like three minutes. They're honking. I couldn't do anything. I tried to embrace it. I, I did okay at it. I said, what flag is that? Someone said Colombia. And I was like, fuck Colombia, you know, whatever. <laughs> but I already made all these poor choices before that happened. Yeah. And I knew that. And I was already bombing before they came through. <laughs> and then, it, then it was like, oh, well, that's why you bombed. And it's like, no. <laughs> I bombed because of choices I made before that happened, and I bombed so bad I won't even let, I won't even accept that they derailed my set. Yeah, I won't accept it. I know I bombed. If I fucking hurt, bro. Dude, I'm it sorry. Hurt. I'm sorry. And so, were you drunk, and the, you thought that that had caused one of the no, things that caused it, or I had, no? I had one drink. Uh, when I talk about poor choices, man, there's just a Bill Hicks quote about it, and it's like the whole like don't. There's no bad audience. There's only bad choices and that i have stuck to that and it makes so much sense to me there there's only bad choices by the performer when you go and you're a comic you read the room there's choices you make whether it's to be prepared to show up early to make sure if you're not prepared which is one thing i didn't do i they had they threw me up first and i said please it was a fucking packed room they were there for it it was amazing 100 plus and i've fucking just ate a dick to like very minimal reaction and everyone kind of was like well all right buddy okay are you done and uh let's get a comic up there this fucking and uh it was so fucking bad and then ty my buddy ty went up and just for three minutes just made fun of my set to fucking standing ovation level audience reaction Ouch. Just fucking crushed me for three minutes. I was laughing harder than anyone else. 
It was so fucking bad. But anyway, yeah, let that be a lesson like, to you. Yeah, you just said it right there. You characterized it right there. I was laughing harder than anybody. It was so fucking bad. That, like those two. And he des- <laughs> he destroyed me. He was making such oh, good. Man. He was like, wow. He goes, they're bomb- bombing people in Colombia, but not as hard as they bombing right here. <laughs> and just fucking, just like real basic level. Ty is, you have to know Ty to know how funny it is. Ty is a Vietnamese guy who sounds like he was in special education uh, and still is, but is an adult <laughs> now, but goes back to the high school special ed class still. Uh, you've, you've talked quite highly of him on this podcast before. Um, funny dude, it sounds like. I can't wait to actually dude. see him. Well, wait till I do his special. I just finished coloring his special uh, yesterday. No, the day before yesterday. All we have to do is edit the audio. In fact, I, when I'm done here, one of the things I have to do is go rip these wave files and and send it. But also, Andy Andrus special is dropping on um, at least on audio on June 25th. So awesome. uh, the marketing company that we're working with is going to have it on Sirius, Pandora, Spotify. You you can find it anywhere and. Uh, we're going to be able to hear Andy's special finally. That's great, yeah. man. I can't wait. I can't wait to have him back in afterwards and and uh, talk to him more, help him, you know, promote it because just hearing the stories about what was going on when he was supposed to be, you know, rehearsing and writing his special and, and the stories that you told, the stories that he told, that was a lot of fun hearing about the uh, the saga that is Andy's special. <laughs> did so, you have Andy? Oh, did you have Andy on the show? Yeah, he was on the week after you were actually. So oh, we were cool. able to okay. chat about all the stuff that you and I talked about, and then some other things. You know, with Andy, it's I, I've I've equated talking to Andy like taking a tab of LSD and watching a fly buzz around the room for four hours because it's it's hard to direct a conversation, but that's what I love about it is that I don't have to direct the conversation. You just kind of sit back and let Andy go. He just goes, goes. Yeah. yeah. Infinite energy. Well, here's something, and not to, not to switch gears to something negative, because everything we've been talking about has been kind of positive, but I have been so excited to talk to you about something that happened on social media uh, the other day. Um, you and I chatted about it a little bit um, just in passing, but uh, there's a guy that is a stand-up comedian here in Oregon. His name is Alex Elkin, and he's been doing stand-up for a long time in Oregon. Um, he is doing like some some kind of comedy for America type thing where it's like he's telling some jokes that are kind of bad taste from what I understand. And and essentially, you can read about it in the Statesman Journal. Uh, he was going to do one at, I think, the was it the Capitol Theater in, in Salem was where he had well, that. Yeah, make sure you put the link to the to the to uh, this article up so people can read it. I will. I will for sure. Um, we'll, bu- we'll put that in the description so you'll be able to reference that article when you're listening to the podcast um, essentially, there were some people that went and protested the fact that he was going to do that show at that place, and uh, the people that were putting the show on effectively canceled the show because they didn't want that negative press, and they didn't want to offend people, and there were people that were taking part in the show that didn't agree with its content. So now that show is being done in Bandon, Oregon, um, which is a, a big step down as far as population is concerned, but you shared the story from the Statesman Journal on Facebook and you said some things to Alex and you even tagged him in the post that caused him to come back and you guys had a little back and forth in the comments. Um, yeah, I trolled him. <laughs> you, you really did. And, and you know, what you had said is that he had stolen some jokes from you in the past. So, so okay, so first I just want to say that 
Uh, I am aware that this behavior that I'm engaging in is petty and negative and not helpful. Uh, I That being said. I only, I only did it because, first off, I it cracks me up that that article exists. Because it's like the kind of article I would read about and not know any of the players, and I would still be into it. Mm-hmm. I would read that whole article because it's about comedy. And I mostly think that it makes sense that it's happening. It doesn't surprise me. I don't think that there's like this big conspiracy that like there's a freedom of speech thing. I mean, I know there is. That's a real thing. Uh, I don't really see it as this like de- de- him being deprived of the freedom of speech. Uh, I just think it's kind of a silly article that that's hilarious to me that it involves this like enemy in comedy. Because he's not like my enemy, but he's just, he always has like this villainous character in his, he's like the kind of road dog guy. And I don't, I'm not judging him. I was never impolite to Alex. Maybe I was when I was drunk. I don't know. I don't feel like I was ever that impolite to him. He had me on a few shows, I think. And uh, I put him on some shows. And uh, uh, I mean, I just don't, not a big fan of his comedy. I'm not a big fan of his, and I don't have any problem saying that, and that's why one of the reasons that I absolutely lit up when when you were trolling him, because you were, like, the, something that you said was like, hey, nobody's writing about my comedy, so congratulations, <laughs> and it was like... Yeah, was which is biggest... a shitty tactic on my part, because I, <laughs> it, whenever anyone comes comes at me, and then they're like, actually, he was upset, which I, I kind of made it as a joke, like, haha, you stole jokes from me, this is the bad karma, which is like, that's silly. But you, know. you shouldn't steal jokes, and if he did, then he's uh, then it's like it totally opens the door for you to say that stuff. Yeah. And and listen, dude, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. It doesn't matter to me that he took some of my jokes. Uh, it's just that I have heard that over the years from several friends of mine. Hey, man, remember this guy? And then they like describe him as kind of me, but you know, a little uglier. And I'm like, God damn it, dude. Yes, I remember Alex. And uh, uh, no offense to ugly people, but this guy's fucking ugly <laughs> inside and out. Uh, but he I've heard that enough times that I was like, you fucker. And I've given him shit online for it. Uh, and he responds the same way. Oh, yeah. Which ones? Show me proof. And I don't really care. I don't yeah. care. That I don't. Ex- I'm not like calling you out to shame you. But if I keep hearing you, they're doing my jokes. I feel like. I can I get to make a joke that you steal my jokes. I get to say that. And it's funny to me. And like I said, I know it's petty, but this article was the perfect uh, reminder to do that to him. So I did. Well, you know, it's funny because uh, we had some experience with Alex on the donkey show. And it, a lot of people don't know the story the way that it actually went down. And that's one of the reasons that I was super excited to talk to you about your experience without Alex and see exactly what you thought about him because I have some very similar feelings and uh you know right after Tanner got fired on the donkey show um somehow some way Alex ended up in the studio and I don't remember if we invited him in because he had a show or what but I remember all this stuff happening him and that guy Chris had a show well so that happened afterwards because we were trying to find a third member for our program. And and we thought, the first time he came in, we thought he was pretty funny. Um, but after that, it was like, before he was even like a member, if I'm remembering this correct, before we had like said, okay, you can come be on the show as a regular, which we never did say, he was trying to like, I need to learn how to run that board that you're running. I need to learn how to do all that stuff with the sound effects that you're doing. I need to learn all the technical stuff. It's like, really, 
what we need you to do is sit over there in the corner and shut up until it's time to be funny. We don't need you to come in here and try to run the whole spaceship. That takes years. And, you know, it's not that I couldn't teach you, but I don't, that's not why I'm, why I'm spending my time here today. Like, and it basically what he was trying to do was almost weasel his way in and take over the show. He wanted that show for himself is the best that I could fucking see from it. And when we, there was some sort of falling out. I don't exactly remember what happened. I think there was a spat on the air and we kind of just been like, no, this isn't right. You know, we're not going to do this anymore. He went home and he drew, because he's actually a pretty good artist. He drew this cartoon picture of all the things that he thought the donkey show were, which was me standing in a pair of shoes that were like, like if you imagine putting a Barbie doll in Shaq's shoes, I think I saw this picture. Yeah, he drew that because he was he was saying that the shoes that I was trying to step into, which were Tanner's, were way too big for me to fill, and uh, I'd be the first one to fucking tell you that since I was terrified. Um, and you know, he he made some cracks about Drew in that picture, and he made some cracks about the station. Long story short, they ended up giving him and another comedian who was, uh, I think, the dude had been in trouble for like bank fraud and shit like that, and tax yeah, fraud. Chris. And, yeah, yeah, Chris. Chris. Um, they gave them a show on 1450 AM, which was an AM station that was piped out of Albany. They they did the show from Eugene, and you couldn't listen to it in Eugene. That was the funniest <laughs> fucking thing about it to me. Um, but they also, uh, they, it looks like I just lost Chris for a second. He'll jump back in here in a minute. But um, they were basically cut off the air eventually because the stuff that they were doing wasn't, like, allowable by, like, FCC standards. Like, it wasn't just that it was, you know, they were doing stuff that wasn't funny or they weren't pushing through enough numbers or something like that. This was actually, like, pure and simple. They were doing things that they weren't allowed to do on the radio, making prank calls and stuff like that without telling people first. Um, All these things you're just not allowed to do, and they were eventually taken off the air. Um, And I would just... I forgot about the guy, to be honest with you. I knew that he had done some kind of tour that he called the Careers on Fire tour, and really what actually happened was he was supposed to help his buddy move across the country, and he just booked a bunch of fucking comedy shows while he was driving the U-Haul across the country, and I don't think he told the guy that was he was moving. So he just like takes this guy along with him, and yeah, Careers on Fire tour there, and look, he's going to listen to this if he ever does, and he's going to say, oh, well, thanks for the publicity, and do that old thing, and I don't care. I, the reason I'm not worried about bringing up his name on this show is because I feel the same way about him that you do, in that I feel like he's got a little bit of evil inside of him, and I don't know where that comes from, other than the fact that he looks like a poorly drawn Disney villain. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's the part of me that like doesn't want to be petty beyond the amount that I was. Is that I don't know the guy that well. I never had great energy from the guy. Never a good vibe. He always kind of treated me like, "Oh, you're not a comedian" or whatever, which I felt about him. So, right? He's a fucking road hack. I don't mean to be negative, but he's a fucking road hack. He would do like the Chinese eyes and do shit like that. Which is why he wasn't allowed to do that show. Yep. And uh, he called BLM just, protesters, like, it, whatever you think about the Black Lives Matter thing, like, it doesn't matter where you stand. You cannot call Black Lives Matter protesters monkeys and expect to get away with it in this day and age. And that's what he well, did. Like, and it's not even like get away with it. It's like you shouldn't say, I mean, you can say whatever you want. I just don't think that's very funny. Right. Well, there's, and, yeah, it's no, it's not funny at all. It's, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's funny, like, in, like, that he's, 
it's like, wow, dude, you're fucking, what's wrong with you? <laughs> How do you, what is it that makes, that makes you laugh? Yeah. Like that, that, like you're like, haha, monkeys. But I'm just talking about, you know, people are like monkeys. I'm not, I'm not making that connection. No, that's not, that's not what I'm doing. That's what's funny to him is that he's like, oh, but you guys are just drawing conclusions. See, yeah, duh, dude. Black <laughs> Lives Matter monkeys. What's wrong with you? Dude? Right. What's it, it's it really? It's like you wanted me to draw a conclusion, and that's why you said what you said. And if the comedy is is me drawing the conclusion, then fine. But you're not very good at comedy. <laughs> if that's the case, and you know the other thing, one time you really pissed me off. Um, and this is petty too, and I know that, and I'm okay with that. I started this podcast so I can be petty whenever the fuck I want to. And one time he was talking about Donk Gong comedy, which, you know, we did for a long time down there at Taylor's. We all sweated through it. It was never a great crowd. The comedy was always, you know, being thrown together. It was kind of ramshackle. People worked on new stuff. And at one point in time, I think this was maybe during the spat that we had on the air, he told us, I came down to your stupid open mic and played Captain Save-A-Show for like three weeks in a row. It's like, Captain Save-A-Show? You were performing in front of all the same comedians we performed in front of every fucking week, and nobody there liked you. You didn't save the goddamn show. That overinflated sense of self self-worth to me has always really bugged me because we're out there, you know, we've got... 18 comics that come out to that show that are way better than him, and then he's going to come on the radio show the next day and call himself Captain Save a Show. It just, I don't like people like that. That's it. That's the tone. Yeah. And, and to be fair, I did I did that to you guys once too, but, but Drew was fucking with me. Drew would be like, yeah, come down and do the show. You're up next. And then I'd be up three comics later, and I was like, what the fuck? I'm drunk right now. Don't fuck with me, Drew. <laughs> And then I flipped out and was like, you guys just fucking use me. So, oh, shit, maybe I'm more like Alex Elkin than I'd care to be. Not even, dude. You wouldn't have gotten a second call or even a first one for this podcast. My wife asked me once, like, it was probably, you know, six months ago when I was thinking about putting the thing together. She's like, ooh, you could go on and fight with Alex Elkin. And I was like, I wouldn't give that motherfucker a platform to stand on if it was something that was going to save my life. Like I just it would be kind of funny. It would be kind of funny to interview him though, because he's such a fucking he is such a blowhard that he kind of exposes himself. Like, first off, I would never accuse him of being a joke thief if I didn't hear about it from three different fucking people that you all so that people, you trust and people that know it's your joke, which means they've heard you a hundred times. Yeah, and also like I'm not mad. It's fucking hilarious. My jokes sucked. <laughs> They were so bad then. So you're stealing from like my, my first years. Oh, that you can't come up with something better than what I said. You fucking suck <laughs> so much. I don't do my jokes. <laughs> Your jokes made you quit drinking. <laughs> yeah, I steal from better comics. Don't steal from someone who's don't steal from someone. And then when they call you out, be like, oh, Open mic, Chris Castles, you suck. It's like, oh, dude, well, you stole from me. Uh, right. So, <laughs> you're only, you're only, you? yeah, exactly. You're only uh, kind of uh, describing yourself there. And here's what's funny. There was a mention in the little Facebook back and forth where you were trolling him that he had <laughs> performed the stolen joke of yours while opening for Carlos Mencia, which you can't, <laughs> you can't fucking write that. You can't write that. The irony of that is, too, is that that joke that he stole from me, I wrote with my first writing partner. In 2007, I wrote with a guy who's not a stand-up, my friend Brett, who lives in L.A. now. 
he kind of taught me how to write jokes. I didn't really know how. And I, I was performing already, but I was really storytelling more. And anyway, so the jokes that he stole at the Carlos Mencia show, my friend wrote into me and told me he saw that same post. And he goes, yeah, it was your, you were joking about, what's the name of the, is it Glenwood? Is that the place between Eugene and Springfield? Yes. Okay, so I would joke about Glenwood being the grand guignol of homelessness and how, you know, I would talk about in Eugene, there's a Gandalf in every corner, but then you go into Glenwood and it's like a fucking David Lynch film and the lights are all, they are all you piss yellow and, uh, you know, there's just fucking cats crossing the street with syringes in their mouth and there's wheelchairs with no one in them, you know? Tipped over. Yeah, tipped over. Like, where did that guy fucking crawl out? He's chasing the cat with the syringe. And I just, it was all those jokes, but those are all like, kind of not even my jokes they're my friend brett's so he didn't i mean they were they were like a combination of my jokes and my friend brett's so my friend quoted the joke he actually said the gandalf line and that was my friend's line so it's funny it's like i don't really care i was doing my friend's jokes because i didn't know how to write jokes yeah. Uh, and you've moved so, on from those jokes too. I mean, that as a, as any good comic would, you've left those jokes in the past and and grown and and writ, wrote written better things. You know? Yeah, I've just written things for sure that are my things. But uh, <laughs> but Alex Elkin, you know, it's funny. I I just joke with him because I am a comedian. He is a comedian, uh, not one that I enjoy very much. But I don't enjoy a lot of comedians, and so you know, comedians that are nice to me. Uh, and that's okay. I, I wish Alex Elkin the best. I think it's okay for that venue to say, we don't want this here. I think that's okay. Yeah. If I book a show and I hear, hear something about someone that I find unfavorable and there's evidence of them making, I just like, yeah, I don't really want that person on my show. I don't think that's cutting down the freedom of speech or, you know, I think that's just like buyer's choice. And, yeah, I think there's a big part in that where you got to remember who we're talking about here because there's no way that we could we can say that Alex Elkin doesn't invite the controversy with the things that he he chooses to say on stage. He's waiting for that reaction. That is kind of what he does. He's, um, I, you know, I don't want to call him like a like a right winger or something like that, but he understands the fact that his viewpoint is not the most popular in the public sphere. And so it's it's a lot like a, like a shock jock would. You say it just oh. just because you get the impact, not necessarily because there's any meat behind the thought. And um, you know, I don't know. Like I said, I call me petty. I don't have to like everybody either. And I've never once, ever since I met that guy, never had a good feeling about him. Never got a good vibe off of him. And so. Hey. You know, I don't want to be, I don't want to sit here and tear him down for the rest of the podcast, but I did want to spend a little bit of time on it because I've never, I don't like to go out and publicly shame people and, and talk about people behind their backs or whatever. But since the Statesman Journal covered it and you gave it a little bit of a bump, I figured why not? How did it enter my lexicon? Just trolling a troll. <laughs> I, was, I enjoyed myself. I, I, but I also, even in that, I was like, oh, I don't like doing this. I hate doing this. Yeah. I tried to stick to, Sharing stuff that um, I'm doing, but uh, did you? So did you see the Tony controversy? Kill Tony? Do you know? You know, kill Tony? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't see the controversy. No. Oh wow! No one knows about it. You gotta fucking look this up, dude. Oh, actually, you know what's interesting is that it it feels like it didn't really hit the radar as big as uh, I, I thought. But NBC, all the major news things covered it. He uh, 
he used the the uh, a racial slur on stage to refer to an Asian comedian, uh, and the Asian comedian uh, took a clip and posted the thing he said, and kind of left out important. He left out important context, but anyway, it went viral, and Tony is canceled. Oh, jeez. But he's not. He's not. They just Fine. moved. They had, he got he got a show pulled from there. He got dropped by his management and all that stuff. You got to look it up, man. I, I thought for sure you'd want up. the inside. Well, I no, I do. And and I because here's the thing. I I think that people should not say things that that they know they shouldn't say. Obviously, there's a group of words out there that everybody knows what they are and everybody knows when you can and can't. Um, and I think one of the only times that you can, and it has to be dependent upon the context, is on a comedy stage. And I really mm-hmm. think that canceling people that they're, that are in saying this is going to sound like I'm contradicting myself when I talk about how Alex Elkin got his show canceled. But it's it's not. It's, like you said, buyer's choice, first of all. The venue makes the decision on who they're going to have there. And just like Tony's management makes the decision on who they're going to manage you have to think about what people say in the context of when they're saying it. On Kill Tony, they give you a minute, and then they roast you for, like, five. And that's a comedian roasting a comedian right there. You're going to have some jokes that are going to be dark. There might be blue. They might be way inappropriate. But that is, in and of itself, comedy in a certain sense. And uh, it, it bums me out to see comedians get canceled for things like that. However... It's not something that's beyond my understanding. Like, I see, and I don't really understand how it's going to either be fixed or it's going to carry on into the future of comedy. Because everybody, I mean, that's that's the, Kill Tony is the most popular live podcast in the world, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, as far as filmed live. And um, if 500 episodes in, Tony Hinchcliffe, was, Tony Hinchcliffe was a racist, you would know it. That's, well, it, yeah. That's kind of, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on it? How do you feel? No, I agree. I think it's, it's, uh, it's just that there is this whole like new kind of cultural thing where once someone does something we think is unfavorable, we all kind of dog, there's like this dog pile effect and then it becomes like, Oh, well, this affects our business. What we can't be supporting what everyone appears to be hating. Um, I mean, again, don't fucking just throw out slurs. That's not my personal choice. I wouldn't call an Asian guy a filthy fucking. What he you did. know? Yeah, yeah, but neither. To be fair, I, I I don't have the balls, and and I but and that's why I don't have the balls is because I wouldn't. Are, is everybody listening going to be able to? like find the comedy in it and not find the offensiveness in it? And the answer is no, I don't think so. It was lazy. He was doing satire. I think that there was mistakes made on both sides, but, um, uh, and it's not my style of comedy for sure. But I I do think if you're going to say that at any point in time, that that's the place to say it. It's the only place that you can say it. And that's kind of what's weird about it is it's like in the same breath, we're saying, don't say that. We're saying, well, if you're going to say it, that's the only place you can say it, but also don't say I'm it. I'm saying it's not for me. I'm not saying don't say it. That's the thing is I don't think you should not, not – I don't think that you should not say anything personally. I am careful about what I say, and I think about my intention. Yeah. I have personally put a lot of thought into that recently uh, and more recently. 
than ever before, which is, all right, what's the intention of what I'm saying? What, what am I trying to say by saying these things? Uh, but some comics are just got different styles, man. And I think that in the context, and you should watch the clip. I will. And maybe some of you listening have seen the clip and you know, watch the longer clip that Ari Shafir released that gives you the context for why Tony did what he did. And uh, then you go, all right, well, still kind of shitty, but is what is also shitty is this other comic taking the clip, posting it up, saying, hey, I opened for the great Tony Hinchcliffe, look what he had to say, and then just posting 30 seconds of the worst part uh, without any context, and then clout chasing and using it to get on TMZ and all this shit. Uh, it's like, oh, dude, hey, that's really a year comedian? Yeah. And, uh, dude, and I okay. hate too that dogpile effect that you talk about tends to be people that are fighting a lot of other people's battles for them. And oh, oh yeah. you got the little kitty there. What a cutie. Yeah. Um, if you're, if you're not watching this, it is available on YouTube so you can see Chris's little kitty. It's crawling all over him right now. Um, yeah. I, I hate that. Like, for instance, I use this as a good example. I look at the arrest records of the people that are protesting police brutality in downtown Portland still. And they are the whitest group of white kids that you'll ever see. It's just a bunch of, of woke white kids out there pr- fighting. And I'm not to say that they're the battle that they're fighting, that they see a reason to fight, whatever. I don't necessarily agree with their with their tactics. But, you know, it's a freedom of protest. We have that in this country. You can peacefully, ass- peacefully assemble and try to affect change and in, in, in a lot of in a lot of avenues, it's one of the only ways that you can affect change as just a normal citizen is to go out and be seen protesting something that you don't like. But how many of these 20-something-year-old University of Portland students uh, that are, you know, came up with a silver spoon in their mouth and are going to, uh, you know, uh, six-figure-a-year school right now, but then they spend their nights moonlighting by riding in the streets of Portland and getting arrested. Like it just, the whole thing to me doesn't add up. It seems like you're fighting someone else's battle. And I think that the dogpiling thing is a lot that too. It's, it's a, well, this is an easy one to get on. And maybe he said something I didn't like in the past and I wasn't able to, to jump all over him for that. But now that this guy's got a racial slur, I'm getting on this bandwagon and I'm taking down Tony Hinchcliffe. It's, I don't know, man. It's a really, really fucking weird culture that we live in right now for, you know, call it whatever you want, cancel culture, whatever you want to call it. The way that people are being basically deplatformed now for saying some things and that some other people might not agree with or are offended by is crazy. I don't understand it. I can't really wrap my head around it because every time it happens, it seems to be a different thing that is at the center of it, but it's the same effect where, oh, you're canceled. Your management's dropped. All of your sponsors have dropped you. You don't make any money anymore. You're effectively fucked. Yeah, I mean, that's part of the story. I also think that it's an illusion that you're fucked because if you are an artist and you have a fan base, you're not really ever fucked as long as you're being true on some level. You might get your management taken and uh, not able to work at these venues, etc. But then time passes, and if your intention is to be an entertainer and and you you know you recognize that what you did was just comedy and not actually a hate act, then you just keep going. I mean, I don't know. To me, I'm just thankful I don't have a platform that I'm on. <laughs> I don't have anything you can take from me, really. I'm already in trouble with the state of Texas. They, I'm more afraid of what they're going to take from me 
And uh, like my buddy Ty says, I'd rather work with canceled comedians, honestly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, if I, of the two, the overwoke or the canceled, give me the canceled. A hundred percent. Y'all all week. Yeah. I'm in. It's one of the things that had me a little bit um, uh, hesitant to jump back into the Eugene comedy scene with the, you know, shows being at, at Lucky's, which, you know, Lucky's is Lucky's, but being down there right in the heart of the Whitaker district, I thought like, I, do I have to change what I'm going to say to try to to try to fit this crowd of people? And instead, I just didn't. And it turned out to be the right choice. I'm glad that I didn't. But I'm not going to say that I didn't spend a full day thinking about that before I put my set together for that right. open mic. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I I am thankful for the new influx of comedians here now. Because it's a lot more of the Opie, Opie and Anthony type comics moving into town from LA. Um, then there's a lot of really, and strong joke writers from LA, but also strong joke writers from New York. Um, then there's all these small town comics who, who uh, have their own different perspectives, comics from Chicago that, that are tired of having to sidestep those minds of wokeness and all that coming out to Texas to kind of just say whatever they want. And sometimes it comes out real bad shit. You think what Tony said is bad and watch it. You should hear the shit I hear at open mics. Uh, it's fucking comics from like Seattle come down here and they're just like, finally, I can say all the stuff that I haven't been able to say. And you're like, well, really? What? And then they're just like firing it off. And you're like, whoa, bro, fucking let it out. Why don't you just go scream in a closet? Holy shit. Stand on an overpass somewhere and let those thoughts go. <laughs> yeah, but but the cool thing though is that it is a nice contrast. Um, because I'm not for either extreme. Um right. but the extreme, there was this, this clickiness in Austin. It's so like isolating, and so it's really a breath of fresh air that there's more people who are more open to being friendly and not just being clicky and sticking to their own piece. So there's just more options now, and I'm finding more people that accept me personally. So I, I fucking, I'm so thankful because then now I'm like permitting myself to say more fucked up stuff, which in contrast to some of the stuff I've heard is not, it's not really fucked up, but I had this warped view because it was so many of these kind of woke ass, Hey, don't say this word. Don't bring up this subject. And that's when I have a problem. Yeah. I can't bring up a subject. Nah, fuck you. <laughs> I can't talk about Sandy hook. Why not? Right. Why not? Why can't I talk about it? Oh, so people get uh, Hey, I'm not using racial slurs without a punchline. So yeah, it makes you know what I mean. I've I'm like, oh wow, I, I I've opened up, and I'm like, all this old stuff I kind of put away because I felt like it wouldn't get me booked at the one club in town. There's six clubs now. I don't have to worry about that. Yeah, and that is, I mean, once again, I feel like part of comedy in and of itself is that. You know what? I'm going to make you laugh tonight. I'm going to make you feel happy and funny, but maybe I'm going to say something's going to make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. And later when I pull you back, that's the whole point. The point that you were uncomfortable for a minute is what really sank the teeth of that joke in at the end. That's where the payoff is, where you're uncomfortable. Yeah, you don't really like where it's going. I don't know if I can hang with this one. And then, boom, if you can hit them at the end with that good punchline, the fact that they were uncomfortable the whole time is, is part of the payoff of the joke, in my opinion. Definitely, definitely, dude. I've seen that. 
I've seen that live a lot. Yeah, and I mean, look, it takes a it takes a really well seasoned comedian to do it because there, I see a lot of people try it and they just they 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 get the uncomfortable part down in spades, but they never have that punchline. <laughs> so, yes, and that's uh, when the. Not worth that risk, is it? No. Well, and you know what, dude? I told you this uh, on the message, and, and we're going to wrap this up here, but uh, I, I'm going to – I'm making it a point to sometime in the in the future come down and uh, and do some shows down there, do some open mics in Texas, just feel it out, just go down there and see what it's like because everything dude. I hear so far is good, Chris. I haven't heard out of all the people moving down there, out of all the Kill Tonys, out of all the people that I listen to, podcasts and whatnot – Nobody has said anything bad about it yet, even with this influx of people that you're getting moving in. Well, the audiences are dumb. <laughs> <laughs> that's the problem is the audience. That's the only negative thing is that the audiences just aren't as uh, they're not around as ha- they haven't been around comedy as much as L.A. and New York. So they don't know how to act. So they get fucking wasted so it's a little weird. That's the thing that I've noticed from LA comics. They're like, hey, man, it's great. We're out here. We're all free. But man, these fucking audiences. Jesus fucking Christ, dude. Slow <laughs> down. Not great late crowds in Austin. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, you're going to run into that, right? I guess that's part of fighting the battle of comedy is is uh, your crowd. I mean, like you said, though, Bill Hicks said it best. There's no bad crowds, right? Just bad choices. Bad choices, dude. <laughs> like moving all the way, all of your house from LA to Austin, thinking it's going to be a utopia. <laughs> going to be some bad parts. But, uh, hey, thanks for having me on, Marcus. Dude, thank you so much for taking the time. Once again, uh, I always love talking to you, Chris. Um, we could do this uh, three times as much as we actually do, and I still would think that we've got a ton of stuff to talk about. So yeah, um, it I means a lot that you will join me from Texas, and I, I hope, dude, that every time I, I think about you and I see something on Facebook that you're sharing, I'm like, Chris is taking the next step. Now you got your show, Cocktails, dude. I can't wait to see yeah. what happens. I can't wait so to see excited. where it goes. Um, in fact, one, like, like I said, I would like to come down there and do your show. I would like to come down in a fucking 1920s tux and try to throw down some funny. Cause I got some, down, dude. I got some sex stories and they're all embarrassing. Even the ones you I gotta got come now. down, man, come down to fucking come down to Austin. I encourage you. And then keep going to the mics, man. Tell everyone I said, what's up. I will do it. And eventually I'll come up there and. Maybe, maybe, maybe we get some. Bring cocktails on the road. Who knows, dude? I would love it. And let me know if you're coming up here. We'll definitely uh, just put on a show. You know, if you're ever going to come this way, there's no reason for us not to have. If you want to perform, not to have a, a show where we can feature you. And I know that there's plenty of people that would love to have you. So, cool. Thank you, brother. No I love problem. you. I'll see you later. Yeah, I love you too, Chris. That's the Man Room Podcast. Thanks, guys. Peace. Thanks for listening. And and the transmission.